The Bob Murphy Show, episode 302. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bob Murphy Show. This episode, I'm going to be flying solo, and I'm going to cover two examples of this pattern that I've noticed in U.S. I was going to say jurisprudence, but I don't know. There's a it's a broader category than that. But the way the law is implemented in in the U.S. Uh, that both sides sort of stipulate a framework and then line up on the mirror images of each other and battle it out over the familiar intersection points of those two ways of looking at the issue. And yet, no, there's a lot of different ways you could slice and dice the reality to you know put it into your own framework and then argue about it with somebody else and to even argue they have to concede a lot of common ground to even just get set up to get going they have to stipulate a lot and my point in this is to say that no just the way people are parsing these things it's not it's it's not obvious that the framework we're using rhetorically is the best one for the job i guess i'll put it that way all right so First example I'll cover, and, and what I'm trying to get across will probably be clear as I used to go through the examples rather than me on this front end trying to, let me tell you what I'm about to tell you about. Uh, it's this John Dunwell guy, and it has to do with the satanic temple. All right, so let me just, I'll, I'm assuming most people know the, the back, well, let's see, does he, yeah, he goes through a timeline here. So I'll just read this guy's tweet, and that will probably center 95% of you to know what it is I'm talking about, and I'll elaborate if I feel the need after I go through his tweet. But I, I kind of have to reread this myself. So this is from Iowa Rep. John Dunwell, and he says, As many of you have become aware, last week a display was erected at the Iowa Capitol by the Satanic Temple of Iowa. As I have responded to concerns from Iowans about the display... Oh, the other thing, it, it's not in his tweet. I got to tell you, this guy's also a pastor. Okay, so he's a state representative in Iowa, but he also happens to be a pastor. Okay, so he's taking extra heat for this issue because he's here going to be, quote, defending a satanic temple. So he's in kind of an awkward situation as a pastor in the United States in Iowa having to explain why it's okay that there's a satanic temple uh, set up in the state capitol. Right, this is the position he's in. It, just to anticipate my punchline, I'm going to say it's because he's using a faulty framework, right? So he's not making a horrible decision in the constraints that he thinks bind him. There is no good solution given the way he's parsing the problem, the framework that he's using to try to figure out. Well, here's the acceptable options at my disposal. Which one is correct? That that's a losing game. All right, that's that's where I'm going with it. So it's not that I'm saying he's he's wrong and then you just take the mirror image of his opponents on this and so they must be right. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the very framework they're using to try to adjudicate this is flawed. 
All right. So, but anyway, let me just, so I'll go now nah, because I had to stop to tell you guys he was a pastor because that was a critical bit of information that he wasn't going to probably volunteer in the tweet. Um, so let me, let me just, I'll just start from the top on this, but I think you understood folks why I felt the need to clarify. Okay. So this is Rep. John Dunwell talking about the Satanic Temple. And keep in mind, he's a pastor. As many of you have become aware, last week a display was erected at the Iowa Capitol by the Satanic Temple of Iowa. As I have responded to concerns from Iowans about the display, I wanted to share with you how the display came to be and my response. How did it happen? And so now he's going through bullet points, like giving us chronology. The Capitol structure falls underneath the control of the Iowa legislature. The Department of Administrative Services, or DAS, is charged with the management. Currently, access for displays at the Capitol are open to anyone through an application process. Though there are some guidelines, they do not discriminate on the basis of religion or ideology. Displays are permitted to be displayed for two weeks. All displays are required to communicate they are an independent display and not to be associated with the state of Iowa. The Satanic Temple petitioned for their display in August and were approved with some modification. They wanted to use an actual goat head, and then he has in parentheses, I'm assuming a skull, and were prohibited from doing so. Technically, he wrote, and we, when we are prohibited, uh, he did the contraction, but I just filled in and fixed his, using the wrong word. The Iowa legislature can set the rules and standards for any display. The current operating principle has been to allow, or sorry, to either allow all displays or none. The legislature has the power to change it if they deem necessary. Okay. And then he goes on. So that's the issue. And so he's been taking a lot of flack from Christians. Can you imagine that? Christians losing their temper? I can't believe this. Coming up, getting mad at him, calling him, you know, all sorts of names. And he's just been saying, guys, guys, this is the law. Okay. And, you know, as a pastor, I think one thing, you know, but... You know, as as a as a representative, I I really uh, stand firm for the principle of separation of church and state. Okay, so, but no, even in this thing, in this very tweet, the way he's explaining things to people, that's what I'm saying is he's already bought into the mindset of this system that did not coincidentally end up at the outcome that oh, at the Iowa State Capitol. There is a shrine to Satan, or there was until some, I think he was a vet or something like tackled the thing. Okay, so that is the real world outcome. This isn't theoretical. This isn't a hypothetical thing in a philosophy class doing a what if on a slippery slope argument. No, this is real right now. This is happening in the Iowa capital. There was a display erected literally in homage to Satan. It wasn't like he had to read between the lines. What did they mean by that? That's what the whole thing was by construction. And they originally, okay, right? So you get that. And that's at the Iowa State Capitol. And you could say, well, it's, isn't it an official capacity? It's official enough that Rep. John Dunwell's talking about it, right? If somebody was mad 
that the uh, slushy machine was broken at the local Walmart, I don't think Rep. John Dunwell would be sitting there taking flack for talking about the poly. You know, that would have nothing to be a Walmart matter. So, no, this is a political matter. It's at the, it's the state capitol. All right. Um, and so, like I said, this system that we have in place that has captured the minds and the hearts of some, but it's captured the minds of more is my point here, just getting them to think this way. All right. And as we'll go through this. So, again, the, the actual result that popped out of this machine was, oh, you get Satan and the state capitol until some guy takes him out. All right. That's what popped out of this thing. So now let's try to figure out why. And I'm saying this guy in him trying to explain why. No, no, there's nothing weird here. This is kind of one of those things, you know. <laughs> Gee whiz. That, that's not correct. Or let me just show you how tailored that worldview has been to make sure that everything seems cool in this framework. This wasn't some arbitrarily selected framework. This is the one that the system grafted onto this guy's mind. But, but before I get into the, the critical part, I just noticed as I was reading it, the Department of Administrative Services, DAS in parentheses, right? And then as I go through this, I don't see him using DAS anymore. Now, in fairness to him, I'm only looking at like the first of what was a many tweets. So maybe he did know I'm going to have to keep saying DAS forward. But I'm just saying right here, it almost looked like he was saying DAS just because like in, in this legalese and, you know, in these policy briefings and whatever, like if you identify the agency once and then you just say that like, that's kind of like their jargon that kind of sucks you in just to kind of deaden the mind. You just refer to these agencies by their three letters and it just, it's kind of like a new speak. Right. So I'm just saying here, the fact that he says the long thing and then and that's why the, they make it long and cumbersome so that you're forced to economize and collapse it down into an acronym. But then, you know, the acronym is very dense in terms of packing information. And so it's harder to know what, what does that even mean? It's vaguer. Okay. So that's the function of bureaucraties or one of the functions. So anyway, I'm just saying the fact that he went into that when it wasn't clear he needed to say DAS ever again, but here's the critical contradiction just staring us in the face. I don't even think they're more than two sentences apart from each other. So here's the critical part. The Satanic Temple petitioned for their display in August and were approved with some modification. They wanted to use an actual goat head, I'm assuming a skull, and were prohibited from doing so. Okay. So they did tell them, no, you can't. Do this in the fashion that you're proposing, or we will stop you. And then he says, the Iowa legislator can set the rules and standards for any display. The current operating principle has been to either allow all displays or none. Okay, well, we know they didn't allow all displays because they this one group applied and said, we have uh, an actual goat head we'd like to use. And the Iowa legislature did not approve that. They did not allow that. So no. So it can't be that they allow all displays. And then they're telling us that the principle they're using to decide these cases, the principle is you either allow all displays or none. Okay. So we've just determined they don't offer all or they don't allow all, right? Because this one group applied and they said no. So it must be that they don't allow any. Oh, no. Yep. They do allow them. 
if a group comes forward and says, we'd like to display Satan, but we won't use an actual goat head. We'll just use a fake goat head in our promotion of the Prince of Evil. And they say, okay, that's cool. Actual goat head. No, no, that is not allowed. Right? So we, we've seen, for one thing, they're not obeying their rule. They, they said their rule was, we will either allow all displays or none. So we've just demonstrated that they are incorrect in saying that. Are they lying? I don't know. They might not realize how much they were misled to that preordained conclusion, which is what those engineering this system wanted to be the outcome. Okay? But I'm just saying, it's not like this, this framework, it's not even internally consistent. That's what I'm trying to say. Right? It's not that this is the natural thing that would pop out of the real world because it's internally inconsistent, as I just demonstrated. All right, so this isn't this, you know, deeply uh, appealing and, and inviting framework. No, it's not. It's, it's terrible. It obviously doesn't work. It was bolted on. Okay. Um, beyond that, you know, in case people are just think I'm quibbling about this guy's particular wording or whatever, but, but bigger picture, the way I've seen people try to handle this, it doesn't. So he, here's one run route. I'll just walk you through that. I took on Twitter with these stuff. It gets really complicated really fast. So I understand a lot of people. I don't think went with me on the ride on Twitter that they didn't get what I was like. One guy even explicitly said to me, he said, I really have no idea what you're trying to get across in this tweet. And I just answered. Okay. And some people thought that was funny. I don't know why. I don't want to just ignore that guy's statement. Um, so imagine I establish, it, it, and by the way, the context here is when I pushed back on this guy, Dunwell, and just pointed out the inner contradiction in his tweet that I just told you folks about, I got a lot of pushback from people, you know, from libertarians too. I mean, don't get me wrong, like Rowan Gray also came in and cast aspersions on me, but that's what is to be expected. But atheist or secular libertarians came at me pretty hard. Um, you know, saying matter of factly that no, 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 they, the state can't pick one religion over another. This is clearly, you know, if you, if you were to allow them to bar the satanic temple from putting up their monument or whatever, their shrine, wherever it was, if you were to give the pow- the government pop the power to do that, well, then you open the door to tyranny in a state-imposed church, which is what the founding generation fled and blah, 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 right? And I want to say, no, that's not, you're framing it the way the state wants you to frame it when you talk to me like that, okay? So I'm just trying, by the way, I'm not saying I have, oh, if you just change this dial 22%, I have the new framework that explains everything. And no, this, I'm just saying this whole framework doesn't work at all. It's like, let me just go off on a tangent for a second, just to make sure everyone's understanding the, um, where I'm coming from on this matter. Right. When I'm going to go through and just show that people's frameworks don't work, they just, they, they lead to, you know, cul-de-sacs and your thinking and contradictions and data that, the point is they're, they're sort of boxed into that, right? So it's not that, uh, that you just need to take the flip side of it, okay? I'm just trying to show that framework doesn't work. It's like with the school um, 
prayers in school, right? There's no good answer to that, given that if it means government school, right? Obviously, if it means private school, then yeah, the answer is simple, keep the state away. But if given that there's going to be public schools, then how do we handle the fact that some kids might want to pray before they eat or they might want to pray in the morning or something, right? That that's, um, you know, do you allow that or not? And you could not either both sides have good arguments or like whether there's going to be the 10 commandments in, in the held up in the halls or something, both sides have good points to make in that debate. The, like the pro, you know, religious infusion people, are going to say this, the school is clearly taking a stance on moral values, right? It's not that you're going to teach bullying other kids is ethically neutral compared to being nice to them, but no, you're going to take a stand on that. You're going to impose your morality when it comes to that. So it would be kind of crazy to say, oh, because there's this book that a lot of people really revere and some even believe is the word of God, any sort of moral teaching that could be tied to that book is off limits, right? So that seems kind of nutty. And yet, so by that, so that frame of mind or that train of thought would lead you to say that, of course, it's innocuous, benign to have, you know, allusions to the Ten Commandments or whatever, you know, not that the teacher has to make everybody, uh, you know, accept Jesus or something, or in a Catholic school, you know, recite uh, a Hail Mary, but just, you know, you, you couldn't blind your eyes to the fact that there is that huge influence from the church on society. And yet that's what the interpretation of separation of church and state in the context of public schools has come to mean in the instantiation of that into our system in the real world that it went from the original point of all this stuff was to not allow the government to trample on your personal religious beliefs. And yet now it's, you know, sort of being, so it was protecting your religion from the state. And now it's almost flipped like, Oh, we got to protect the state from religion. Like we can't allow any of that icky religion to come in and any, you know, any entry point, onto public property and government procedures. And so that's, you know, excluding a major source of guidance in the Christian view. But of course, from the secular view, they're going to say, you know, no, we're, we don't believe in any of these religions. And so therefore, you can't just pick and choose. That's, that's opening the door, and, and they're right too. I get it. So I'm saying there's no solution when it comes to saying prayer in public schools. And the only real solution is to take it out of this public sector and let, you know, parents spend their money how they want, you know, philanthropic organizations for kids that don't come from wealthy families or orphans or whatever, so they can all get a basic education. The community would obviously support that. They wouldn't need to be forced at gunpoint to contribute to little kids so they can learn how to read. Come on. Um, you know, if they were genuinely needy. So that is really the only solution. Or if they grabbed me in the Soviet Union days and said, here, help us, you're a trained economist, come help 
I'm not going to try to do a Russian accent. I'll bosh it. Come help us uh, do our five-year plan for the economy. And you know, there's, my answer would be, no, there's, there's no, there is no right way to centrally plan your wheat targets for the next five years. That doesn't, no, the, so the way you plan it is you sell the land back into private hands and you know, get, get rid of all your quotas on exports and blah, blah, or, or imports or whatever. That's the way you would do it as an economist. So I'm saying here, when I challenge these frameworks, it's not that there's a better way to handle it administratively, given that this giant behemoth organization of the federal government and the state governments exist. Yeah, given the existence of that apparatus, maybe this is the best way to deal with it, but I'm still going to point out there's no coherence to this framework. It's an irrational system. It just It just produces chaos among other injustices. But back to my earlier train of thought, what I was going to say with this, or what I did on Twitter, in fact, is I said, okay, let's imagine that I start a church called the Yay-Nay Church. And what the uh, sacrament is in my church is that you go onto public property and when a bill comes up for, you know, before the legislature, you say either yay or nay when the vote comes up. And that's a sacrament in my church of the yay or nay. Okay. And so we send our people up there and it turns out, or, and so we, we go up there and rep John Dunwell. This is in Iowa, by the way, if I didn't clarify where I established this church of the yay or nay. And so John Dunwell explains to me and I, uh, that no, we either here accept all churches or none. And so I say, all right, well, you have to accept our display because if not, then that means, you know, nobody is allowed to go onto the public property and vote yay or nay. Right, because that's our church, that's our sacrament. And so everyone going up there and doing that, that's our you know, each each guy who goes to the state legislature and when the vote comes up says yay or nay, that's actually you're seeing our church in action. Cause that's what we do. Right? Does everyone follow my logic? This is, this may strike you as like a weird, sort of goofy potential application of this framework, but that's my point. It's no more goofy than what the heck we're seeing right now, right? How is the uh, LGBT, how is all of that in terms of just a philosophical organizing principle of society, how is that playing out? Does that look like that's a well-thought-out framework? And I'm not taking a stand on any sort of biological issue that some kids, for example, might be going through. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying the framework that we've sort of been handed by which we're supposed to like culturally and sociologically understand what's going on in situations like that is, I don't think very helpful. All right. So don't object to what I'm about to try to say here with this yay or nay thing. You, what you can't say is, well, no, cause that's kind of a goofy 
weird interpretation, Bob, that kind of leads to absurd results. So that would never work in the real world. Yes, in the real world right now, we see some pretty nutty frameworks being used by people to guide them through life. Okay, so anyway, with this, what I'm saying is I could apply, right? I'm going to found my church of the yay or nay. Our sacrament is to go into the state capitol and vote yay or nay when a bill comes up. So if people are, in fact, doing that, my church is going to point to them and say, woohoo, we did it. We fully infiltrated the state capitol. Everyone is participating in our sacraments. We see the blending of church and state here. And, and so then the Satan temple goes and says, okay, well, we want to put our live goat heads and stuff on your property because you just said, John Dunwell, that you either accept all churches or no churches. So now you got to accept our church and we can do what we want. And so again, how, how are they going to block that? Like everything now is on the table just because I've said this. So the only way they could truly say, no, we're going to purge ourselves of all religious displays, right? Like if that's supposed to be the solution, that's what I'm getting at. So I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't read enough from history. Let me just make sure you understand what I'm trying to, what move of his I'm trying to block that Dunwell later said, because I, I didn't want to sit here and just read his tweet after tweet, but later he said, you know, I, my personal preference is that the state Iowa capital doesn't allow any religions. So that's why we're not going to be in this awkward position of having to allow the adherents of Satan have their say on public property, which, you know, he is a pastor does not like the fact that that's what popped out of this framework. So his solution is we need to amend the framework so that no religions are allowed. So there, you know, we're still consistent because I agree. We, even with, you know, the agnostics that the, we do not want the government to be in charge of choosing among religions, right? That's what he, he so that, no, that's a bedrock principle to him. So he's saying, it's not that we have to therefore say, ah, shucks, given that we're going to not allow the government to discriminate among religions, the only way, or, or we, we have to now have the satanic temple, right? And he's saying, no, no, no you have another option. You, we can just not have any religious displays at all. And so see, boom, he thinks he's avoiding the worst outcome with that, right? And he thinks he's being consistent with his principles about so he's here, like, that's the way he wants to try to satisfy both the Christian pastor side of him and the state representative who's committed to limited government side of him, is that that's, ah, that's the way to do it. But I'm saying, no, that doesn't work. Because I could just, or some group that wants to troll you, I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't knock a tottering system over. Um, could form a church of the yay or nay. And then send the people in and then say, aha, they're just walking around. So you thought you were banning all religious displays at the state capitol, but no, you just got completely taken over by the church of the yay or nay. Right? And so listen, now watch this, folks. You might, some of you are like, no, that's just stupid. But what could they do to say why that doesn't count? They would have to say, the church of the yay or nay is not really a religion. That doesn't count. So no, we're not violating our pledge to not allow any religions to get their foot in the door here on public property. And we're still going to allow 
our people to come in here and vote yay or nay on bills so we can conduct government business. And we're not contradicting ourselves because your stupid alleged church of the yay or nay, that's not really a church. Give me a break. Get out of here. Right? They could say something like that, but notice they have now discriminated among things claiming to be religions. Right? They are saying, we can tell if you're not really a religion. But now, according to us, if you are in the category of real legitimate religions, we promise we're not going to discriminate among you guys. And so if we don't want to have one of you in here, and by the way, the Church of Satan in their book is a real religion, right? That, I'm glad I walked into that. I, I, for, <laughs> I did, for earlier meant to write that down to make sure I got that point out, right? In Rep. John Dunwell's framework, he is acknowledging that a satanic temple is a real religion as opposed to a counterfeit religion, for example, right? Because again, if you're saying, no, he's not, or, or yes, Bob, he is, but then only in the sense that he's, that's how magnanimous he's being, you know, he, he's saying, you know, sort um, you know, people were getting the, you know, the great scenes, um, about the, you know, Thomas More and I will uh, defend the devil himself, you know, because if they, if we, I, I, would, I would, you know, this, you had the safety of the law to protect the devil himself because if we took away the laws, you know, in the case of the devil, then they wouldn't be there to stop me when the state comes for me or, you know, so he said it much more eloquently. Okay. So a lot of secular libertarians were, were passing that around in the wake of this thing to try to zing guys like me to, you know, sort of say, no guys, remember we're against the government. You know, you idiots are letting them in the back door because of your Christian worldview, right? That's what they're trying to do. Okay. So I'm saying here, he has, um, what he's ended up doing is saying that the satanic temple is a legitimate religion. Right. And then if you, and so if the way, again, that that person wants to try to defend him and say, no, Bob, that, um, he's having a very broad definition of church or religion. And so, yeah, don't accuse him of like being cool with the devil. That's not, no, it's his commitment to the broad generality of the principle of the class of things that might plausibly be called churches. And he's saying, I do not want to discriminate on that. Okay, right? So, okay, the framework still hasn't completely collapsed, but now my other sort of torpedo is coming around and you see now why it's a kill shot, even if before you didn't see where I was going with that. Because if that's the, because I'm looking ahead on the chessboard and I'm realizing they're in trouble in three moves. That's what I, what I was doing there, right? So given that that's the framework that you get pushed into, if you're taking their view, then when I come up and say, okay, I'm going to form a thing called the church of the yay or nay, and it consists of people going to the state capitol and voting on legislation, they have no leg to stand on. They can't tell me that's not really a religion. No, they just patted themselves on the back on having such a neutral, one uh, complete blind application of this concept to any comers because we wouldn't want to impose our framework on them, 
we're being completely tolerant, then no, you don't get to say the church of the yay or nay is illegitimate. And so your choice is you can either stop voting on legislation. Like, do you see how it's eating itself from the inside? So Dunwell's solution, remember, was to say, well, let's not let let any religions be displayed here. And then I just showed what the problem with that is. Right. And so the one way, if they wanted to, if the system wanted to maintain its internal coherence, I actually haven't made it yet. It does have one further move. They could just say, okay, you're right. That would be um, uh, discriminatory if we were to not allow your religion to come onto our public property or or to declare that you weren't um, a legitimate religion, right? And so what they could do is they could bite the bullet and say, all right, and we'll switch to, uh, you know, online voting or something. You see what I mean? Like they, so they could try to just still conduct government. Because the point is, if they don't go there and vote, how are they going to do anything? And so maybe they could just come up with some, okay, some procedural change. And yet we won't actually come to the state capitol to vote on legislation anymore. We'll all stay home as legislators, do Zoom meetings. and the, you know, So maybe they could come up with some way. But I'm saying then I, of course, somebody could start a new church that describes whatever they're doing in that phase as their sacrament. And so, oop, you just allowed religion back into, you know, mixing in with state business. And so now you can't stop anybody else either from coming in. Right. So I'm just saying those are the absurdities into which you get pushed. Also too, maybe another way to, to, to come at it is, you know, so I'm, I'm starting a new argument, a new line of attack. I might put to buttress my same original point, which is that this framework they have you can just push it in certain areas and like reach an internal contradiction. So here, I think maybe a different line of attack on it is to say clearly what's going on. And I had, I'm not just putting words in it. People literally said this to me like that Rohan gray guy. And he was saying, um, you know, like, Oh, these libertarian, these Christian libertarians, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember his exact wording, but this was the gist of it. They're so chauvinistic, they can't see the clear difference between banning the um, the the original proposal that was going to have a real goat head, like a skull. They don't see why not allowing that is qualitatively different from saying we don't want a monument to Satan here because, you know, it's against God or it's, 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 it's uh, immoral or whatever. It's bad for the soul. No, you can't do that's a different kind of discrimination, but just to on public health grounds say, no, you can't have an unsanitary thing. Come on, you guys, you, you don't see that important distinction. And I'll say again, you're, I understand the distinction you're making, but why is that the relevant distinction? Why don't we draw the boundary at a different point? For example, we could just say, yeah, anything that's going to hurt the public is not allowed, right? If there's a clear and present danger to public health, then you can't put your display up, right? We could say that. And then I could plausibly argue a public display of a satanic monument is not good for the public health. Like a crime rates go up. And before you say we don't, have you ever checked that? I haven't, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do. All right. So I'm just saying, I think 
there's all kinds of ways you could get in and start making a public health argument as to why, no, it's not good. It's not a good, it's not good policy for the state capital to have a satanic monument and that 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 sort of prohibition would not be so easily applied or, or, uh, yeah, um, have it affect them if the groups were like Buddhists and, uh, and, and Christians and whatever legitimate religions. Okay. So I'm just saying that the way that Rohan sees an obvious, clear, bright line distinction that there's no slippery slope potential is between something that's unsanitary and violates the board of health's code versus, you know, some theological doctrinal disputes over, you know, metaphysical things. That's where he thinks there's a, and I'm saying, no, that, that, that's not the, you know, that's sure. You can draw the line there and I get the distinctions you're making, but I'm saying the line could just as plausibly be drawn elsewhere. And I said, for example, why don't I just broaden say anything that might plausibly be construed as that could be harmful to public health. And I think it, there's a clear sense in which it would not be surprising empirically if we could demonstrate that having the state capital host a satanic temple you know, has deleterious effects, just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't let them have rotting garbage or something because it would attract rats. You know, and you could say, no, this isn't a matter of ideology. This is a public health, right? Okay, so that's one thing. Okay, and the other thing is that it goes the other way too. It's not merely that I'm saying the um, the satanic temple has real world impacts, but the real world interacts with Christianity as well. Just to pick the one that I'm most familiar with. I'm sure people in other major faiths could give similar things, but just, you know, for example, there's all sorts of moral influence, but beyond that, uh, it's a historical claim, right? So for a Christian, well, a Bible believing Christian, put it that way, a nativity scene at Christmas time in the state capitol, that's not theology, that's history. Right? So so yes, there are the, there's theological claims associated with that, but it also is to the Bible believing Christian a statement of historical fact. This is what happened. And we're celebrating it just as surely as if the state capitol has a statue of George Washington or, you know, some local political historical hero in that area. And so they have that person's statue at the state Capitol. Likewise, why wouldn't you at Christmas time celebrate the savior of the world? Right. It's not that you're forcing anybody to become a Christian or something, but this is, if we're going to refer to history at all, why not refer to the most important historical event of all time? It seems kind of arbitrary to say, well, no, because a lot of people, you know, have some spiritual, uh, investment in this historical event. So therefore we're going to pretend it didn't happen. And it's a fairy tale. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Again, if you're an atheist, I understand you, you reject my framing. Right. But if you're a Christian, my framing that I just said, that's not arbitrary. That's reality. What I just said, if you're a Bible believing Christian and, and you sincerely believe it too. Right. So, you know, it's, 
somebody was could I understand that you're not going to craft government to line up with the subjective framework of Bible-believing Christians. But I'm just saying by the same token, though, you know, given their framework, they're looking around at everybody else and thinking, your framework is wrong. So, by the way, one last thing, and I'm not saying this to like, I, I actually feel bad for this guy, this rep John Dunwell that got put in this position. But I'm just mentioning, so I'm not even saying that he should have done this, but just for those of you who are in quandaries like this, keep in mind, you can resign, right? Like in other words, if your job ever gets you into a position where in order to keep your job, you're going to have to choose from one of all options that give you the heebie-jeebies, you can resign. Okay, so again, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just, I'm reminding you of that option that you have. That's what I'm saying. Whereas this guy, I, I haven't seen anywhere, but it, you know, because again, he's a pastor and a state rep. And so I'm just saying, I think it would be entirely fair for this guy to say, no, I'm, I'm going to step that like, given my views, yeah, I don't want to empower the government to do something down the road that I won't endorse. But I, I also, Jesus, a pastor, don't want to be giving my blessing, as it were, to this satanic monument. And I'm saying, right, you don't have to, it's not that you had to choose one or the other. You can just resign and let, let your successor come in and do what you would have done politically. But at least you didn't have to be the one that did that. Okay, why don't we move on to the second one, and I don't need to spend as much time on this. It had to do with those university presidents. So why don't we go ahead and play that clip? Dr. Kornbluth, yes. at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals, not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech
speech is not harassment, this is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Okay, so... I think my reaction to this is I think the first university president response there wasn't terrible. I think I know what she was trying to get across and maybe just didn't state it very well. Whereas the second and third ones, yeah, they, it was terrible and they were smug too. Like as they were doing it, one of them was almost laughing. Like they thought it was a big joke. I don't think these three realized how badly this was coming off, you know, outside that room. Um, I, I genuinely think that they, because these presidents, there, there was like an unforced error. They could have been much more diplomatic with this. And I think they just didn't realize what they had gotten into. So, um, but I do want to say that like, again, the first president, her, I, I, I think it's unfair to lump all three of them together as if they were all the same. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. The first one was actually much more nuanced. So just try to keep her separate. It's not fair to take the answers of the second and third one and lump them all together. So the first lady, I think what she was trying to get at is that because remember the lady was like, do you can, would genocide be bullying? But I don't know of any genocide or you know, any calls for genocide that have happened at the university. He said, well, what about, so I think what's going on there is in case you don't know this folks, it's it's slippery. The pro-Israel people, they did a clever move up front where if pro-Palestinian people are chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, the pro-IDF people have pretty successfully just asserted that, no, if somebody says from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free, what that means is murder all the Jews. That's what that means. They've just declared. And so that's the sense in which a lot of pro-Palestinian activism has been described as calling for genocide of the Jews. All right now, believe me, folks, I get it. There are, I can't believe how much open anti-Semitism I have seen 
online since October. Okay, so I get it. But I'm saying both sides are fueling each other by being absurd. So I think what that first president was trying to isolate was to say, of course, if somebody on our campus actually was wishing physical harm, even in the abstract, to another student on our campus, and that person felt personally by which, you know, the link could have just been that they're Jewish and someone's openly calling, we should kill Jews, then yes, that would be bullying and we would investigate on a case-by-case basis, right? There's nothing wrong with that statement. But again, the, what the problem was it came off, like I think she was trying to make it clear that someone just making political statements like Palestine should be free, that someone couldn't just come and point at that and say, oh, you're calling for genocide. That's bullying. You can't say that because realizing, oh, the way some people are using this claim of, oh, that's a call for genocide, using that club. If we as a, as a university say you can't call for genocide when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that might have a chilling effect on speech on the campus. The pro-Palestinian students might plausibly think, if I go around, you know, chanting, end the occupation, uh, Zionists are the worst or something, (laughs) they would come up with something edgier than that, that that could plausibly be reported to the administration is that I just violated, you know, the bullying code. Right? Because some could have, you know, so what's interesting about that is, um, so I heard, I'm not going to get the clip for it or anything, just take my word for it. I listen, joking aside, uh, Dave Smith and Robbie the Fire, they're really good um, just breaking down, you know, the latest situation. Like it's, that's actually now where I go for my political news. And, you can try to use that against me if you want. It's it's not that I think Dave and Robbie are so good. It's that everywhere else is so bad. Put it that way. Um, so Dave walked through that logic, and then Robbie the Fire said, "Okay, if you know if that's partly why those university presidents responded like that, but could wouldn't it just been a lot cleaner and simpler and less liable to angering people?" If they had just said in response to, you know, when the lady says, and your university is calling for the genocide of the Jews, a violation of the student bullying policy or, you know, whatever, anti-bullying code or whatever. Um, why wouldn't the university president just say, yes, of course it would be. But you know what? I don't know of any examples of any of our students saying those words. What I do have is examples of our students saying, like, the Palestinians must be free. And frankly, uh, Congresswoman, blah, 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 if what you're trying to suggest is the mere call for Palestinians to be free, you view it as an invitation to genocide. Well, frankly, that's very uh, uh, problematic, in my opinion. And it shows you have such a low opinion of the Palestinians and think that they're so little deserving of freedom that the mere suggestion that they be free you admit can only happen if Israel doesn't exist. So aren't you implicitly admitting that Israel is the oppressor here? Suppose she had said that, 
Bam! By the way, I made something. I, my point was much cooler than what Robbie did. I just started got in the zone there, so I ran with it. Robbie was making a much more modest point that couldn't they have just pointed out that the um, the yes calling for the genocide of Jews? Of course, that would be violating the bullying policy. But we don't think anyone here has been doing that. What we have seen are pro-Palestinian, uh, you know, marches and whatever that largely fall, we believe, under the banner of free speech. And yes, we have heard of isolated incidents of anti-Semitic conduct in which, you know, there was actual harm directed at another student on campus. And we investigate those on a case-by-case basis and deal with them accordingly, right? If she, that's, I think, what she was trying to say, what I just did there. And you can see how, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, that seems like, you know, you got a bunch of crazy kids running around getting hammered. And you, you can imagine this lady's job, having to deal with these kids and the faculty. Do you folks know what crybaby, whiny, pouty people academics are? Well, I do. I've worked with them. No, you do not want to be a university president. So they're probably, they probably wanted to get fired. And that's why they get those answers. Okay. Cause now they get, they get to be the hero. Right. So, um, I said that as a joke, but now I'm serious. Maybe they did like this. They get to leave their job. They don't have to go back to those kids and those academics. And then and probably, oh, they have to deal with unions and stuff too. Don't they? Like the, I'm guessing all the custodial workers, they're all probably unionized. At a public university, well, I don't know. I think they probably are, but it's not fun either way. Okay, so that's what they should have said. You know, Robbie, the fire pointed out, and then Dave said, and I was, I was like just tracking with Robbie. Yep, you're spitting, Robbie. All right, and then Dave pointed out, and this is what I'm saying. I, I like listening to these guys because it's not just they report the news, like their analysis, the way they synthesize it and distill it down. It saves me a lot of time because I like their framework. Um. What Dave pointed out, though, was to say, no, Robbie, or he said, yes, you're right. That's what you would do. That's what I would do. That's what any normal person would do when being grilled by a congressperson like that. But those university presidents being woke, you know, presiders over the wokeification of their institutions of higher learning, they are the few people who are not allowed to play that card because they have spent their career inculcating the present ecosystem on these campuses where a group that's considered an oppressed minority, they get to tell you whether you've offended them or not. They get to use, they can say like to dead name a student, you know, an LGBT to dead name someone is violence. Right. And if you don't dead naming means so like a kid who says I'm trans and then they might say, call me by this name in that framework, sometimes what the reference to their birth name, you know, the name their parents gave them, that's their dead name. Cause you know, that person's dead to me now. Like I'm a new person now. Right. That's kind of the idea. And so if you know that, and like some people are jerks about it, you know, real, and they'll deliberately just to be, you know, to get in their face, will call them by the old name. Right. So that's where it's coming. You know, it's not purely a power play. It's not merely semantic, like, there's a genuine, like you understand each side attacks each other, right? And so each side is vulnerable. They get hurt and then they get, you know, we're not letting that happen again. And they hit back and that's just to keep side, both sides keep going back and forth. Okay. So I'm not, I'm just explaining where we are. 
I'm not saying one side's good and one side's bad. Um, right. And so in that framework, then what's come to be on these very left-wing campuses is that the oppressed minority groups, or at least the ones that are officially recognized as such, they get to um, just tell you, you know, they set the rules for what is harmful to us, what is an assault on us, what would be bullying to us, right? And so if you're allowed to say that, hey, someone calling me the, the pronoun I don't prefer really hurts me and the school can intervene and punish a student who deliberately misgenders someone, right? And that, that's happening. I'm not making that up. That's not some weird hypothetical in a uh, uh, Kafka novel or something. This is what the system produced, the same system that gave us the Satanist uh, monument in the Capitol building before Christmas. Um, right? So if this same system that allows for that element to be the case that the oppressed minority can say, you know, what constitutes violence and, you know, dead naming is violence, right? So if you can come in and stop students from saying that, why wouldn't you be able to come in if a Jewish student complains and says, yeah, you know, when they say from Palestine, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. I really take that to mean that they're, um, you know, wanting to wipe my people off the face of the map. And here I can show you all kinds of, you know, messages I get on social media telling me just that, cause I'm Jewish and I'm openly Jewish, you know, on social media. And I, and I say, I stand with Israel and here, let me show you some of the text messages I get, right? They wouldn't be lying. They are receiving terrible things from hateful people right now. The, the, you know, a lot of Jews are. And so they're not making that up. And so why, how would the administration not be able to say, okay, you're right. And so, hey, everybody, we're not trying to restrict or curb your free speech, your ability to express your political views, but you can't make our poor oppressed minority group of their Jewish students, um, you can't make them feel like you want them to be genocided because, you know, that's, that's kind of a bummer. They don't, they don't feel welcome if they feel like you believe their whole race should be exterminated. You can see how that might make them feel. So can you kind of tone it down on the whole Israel is an occupying power stuff, right? That wouldn't be inconsistent with the way they handle trans issues. So that they can't really coherently adopt that move, which is what Dave was saying. And that's, you know, so given that they had an impossible job, they had to get up there and justify that framework. Then, um, you know, the, I think that first, she did her best and it wasn't terrible because <laughs> she had, she was dealt a losing hand. All right. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. Thanks folks for your attention. I'll see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.